My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Bought our first unit in Sydney. Um, that was uh, in Lakemba in Sydney. Um, yeah, we picked that one up for a couple hundred thousand back then. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we talk to four-time developer Alan Castorina. We hear about his adventures as a pilot and how he saved up to buy his first property for just a couple hundred thousand dollars. Once he started acquiring properties, he couldn't stop. And we also hear about his worst investment that took 18 weeks to settle. Hey! Alan Castorina comes from a small town in northern Queensland. He ventured into a few different industries like machinery and aviation before building a successful property development business with his wife. I'm a property developer full-time. Um, we do renovations and land subdivisions here in Brisbane. Um, we've been doing full-time this full-time for four years now um, and, and uh, we're getting um, we're building our business up. We've, we've built a business up to the point now we've got uh, about four or five staff and um, yeah, we're enjoying it. My wife, uh, Michelle, she's part of the team and she loves looking after the renovations, um, you know, the, the, the project management part of it. And, and I do the acquisitions, financing and, and the sales. Let's talk a little bit about maybe your day-to-day. You know, what are you currently doing at the moment every day? What's your you know, typical day look like in the life of Alan's development journey? I get up about half past five, six and um, majority of my day is... Probably you could probably it probably look like uh, staff uh, looking after my staff, some staff training, um, and it's eighty percent of its acquisitions. So I look after I'm looking for new pipeline stock to bring in because that's probably the hardest part of the, the whole um, the model. Um, and then I would you know project management. So if there's some subdivisions going, which I've got one at the moment, so it's a matter of just looking after that, making sure the team, all the consultants are doing their thing. Paying the bills because as soon as you stop paying a bill, then <laughs> everything stops. Um, and then it's networking, networking with agents, ringing people up, um, going to see sites. Um, yeah, so that's my day. And then um, yeah, and I'll, I'll try and finish up about five, which doesn't always happen. And I'll go to the gym four or five times a week, get a bit of um, 
the other parts of my body working. So, um, yeah, yeah, and then I'll, I'll, I'll usually work six days a week, have one day off, but it's I don't call it work. It's uh, to me, it's fun, you know, it's I'm passionate about it, yeah. So, I like doing it. Mm. Castorina always had a go getter attitude, he had big dreams and the motivation to make them happen at such a young age. I grew up in a little town called Ingham in North Queensland, just north of Townsville. It's a basically a, a cane farm industry orientated uh, town, uh, mostly Italian community. So I grew up with all the good foods and wines, etc. And um, yeah, so my my childhood dream. I remember I was in grade seven at the time. I wanted to be a pilot, an airline pilot, and um, that's what I did. I ended up leaving school, learning how to fly planes and uh, become a flying instructor. Uh, did all that, uh, you know, flew most of southeast Queensland and New South Wales. Um, and then I basically did that for 10 years and um, quit. I landed a job with an airline and I had enough of flying out of living in suitcases and motels and I, I quit and then I was always interest, interested in, in, in machinery. Um, uh, I liked operating things, so I went and worked in industry after that. Um, but always had a had a passion for wealth because my father was always into shares. He'd be studying, he'd open his notebook out and study the share market, and I'd always had that 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 passion for wealth. So I was always interested in reading books and. Um, yeah, things like that. And I, I landed um, some books on my desk once. It was a Think and Grow Rich. Funny enough, everyone says Think and Grow Rich, um, and that sort of led into the led into the mindset thing. Um, so I ended up getting a job in. My wife and I basically left Ingham, basically when my 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 little fellow was born back in uh, two thousand, just after two thousand two. For a new job in Central Queensland, and um, this job gave me the opportunity to, because it was shift work, I had a lot of time on my hands. So I started reading a lot of books, and getting into property. Property became a really uh, interesting subject for me. So that's where I sort of got into it. Yeah. His childhood sounds almost too good to be true. Filled with picturesque scenery adrenaline pumping activities and winding local rivers. He never had the chance to be bored. Pretty laid back town. Um, we've, we used to have fun doing just about anything. There was any, no computers back then in the 70s. Um, you know, we would you know, have fun just going down the creek, make fishing, jumping into the, into the, you know, the, the local river where all the crocs were we found out. Now there's heaps of crocs in the rivers we used to jump into. <laughs> And, um, but yeah, they, we, we'd never seen them, so we were none the wiser, but I'm sure they were there. Um, I used to like fishing, and you know, because that was uh, uh, right next to the, the, the ocean, really good fishing there. Um, yeah, and so cane farm, so a lot of motorbike riding, you know, driving, and you know, we, we drove well, well before we were allowed to get licenses, so in the cane paddocks, and it got up to a lot of mischief, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a good little laid-back town, and we um, and and funny enough, um, it's rare to say this, but 
my friends that I went to school with, I'm still good friends with them now, and the whole class is the same class that we had right back when we were children. So it was really close, close-knit community. And, um, yeah, we still meet up to this day. Although he was surrounded by farms, his parents worked in different industries. Well, my parents were in retail, so they, my father and mother used to run, um, uh, it's like a, a, an alcohol distribution, like a uh, Forex and, and Carlton used to have all the alcohol there and they used to distribute all the alcohol to the pubs and then they had a delicatessen. Um, but all my mates had farms, so that's where I got to go and shoot rifles and drive tractors and all that sort of stuff, yeah. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to admit, I've never shot a rifle before. I've held one in my hand. It's heavy, that thing. So, I don't know what age you were able to lift one of those things up. <laughs> no, they were good fun. Yeah, we used to have a lot of target practice with the local um, you know, animals around there, kangaroos and whatever. So, yeah. Growing up in a small town means everything was within either walking or riding distance. Castorina would ride his bike to school every day. My school was um, probably about a 20-minute bike ride um yeah so it was across town town was only like three thousand people so it's a very small town and we lived on the other side of town we used to drive i used to drive a bike with my mate and go to school like that rain hail or shine there was no buses or anything mum and dad worked so they'd, they'd get up at five and go to work they'd be at work before long before i'd go to school so we had to find our way there mm. and um it was a local yeah, there was two schools in town. If Castorina grew up in a small town surrounded by cane fields and isolated from the rest of the world, how did he become so passionate about aviation? My grandmother and I used to go down to Sydney and in Bellevue Hill, my uncle that I was talking to you about earlier, and we used to go visit him. And as a, like a, I was probably only eight or nine at the time um, when we used to fly down every Christmas. And I just got found this this incredible machine. I wanted I wanted to drive. And you know, in those days, you were allowed at the front. You'd ask the flight attendant, "Can I go up the front for the landing?" And they'd let you. So I'd sit in the jump seat. Back then, they had seven two sevens and um, seven three sevens. And I'd I'd go up the front nearly every every week every year that would go up to uh, down to Sydney. And um, I said, "This is what I want to do." And, um, yeah, so I, I just put my head down and said, well, I need to pass my exams, get some good marks to do this. And I started that dream back in, you know, probably grade seven when I was at school. So, With his pilot's license in one hand and the yoke in the other, Castorina was at the beginning of all his dreams coming true. I started out in Sydney. I moved to Sydney straight after school, moved into a, a, a little old apartment on my own. So that was quite daunting at the time, um, you know, straight into flight school. Um, I, I actually learned to fly before I left school, actually, because I, I got to know a lot of people in the, in the town that had aircraft. And I used to just hang around the airport on the weekends or just go there and watch them strip planes and, in, the, in, the, in the hangar. And then they could see that I had passion, so they took me up. And then eventually, um, I got to know a few people. I got my solo before I left school. And um, so I, I knew well before I left school that that's what I wanted to do. And uh, so then mum and dad 
supported me and they said, all right, sounds like this is it. Let's go and find a flying school for you. And that was down in Sydney at the mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah, but in answering your question, what it was like um, as a pilot, it, it's it's you got to have a passion for it. It's really stressful at times because, the, um, I mean, the weather, the weather uh, when you're a commercial pilot, you have to go whether you like it or not. You know, um, you don't go when the airport's shut down, of course, with thunderstorms, but, you know, a really crappy day, you still got to take off, take your passengers, um, and it's 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 a lot of workload um, at times, and then and then also to um, keep up your your currency and keep up all your your um, endorsements and license. You have to do regular checks. Um, yeah, so then um, yeah, the, the actual you know the the, the the actual week may look like uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You're on, and then you have Thursday off, and you might have to fly Friday, Saturday. Then you're off Sunday, so your 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 week may be changing all the time. So you, it's not a routine, and you might be flying from Sydney to Canberra one day, and then Sydney to Melbourne the next, and then stop in Brisbane the night after. So it's occasionally it's uh, you know you're not home. A lot, and and the what job that I was doing, it was I wasn't home a lot. I was I was sort of staying in Darwin for a week, coming back for a day, staying in Mount Isa for another couple of days, and then yeah, so I was all over the place. So I wasn't enjoying it after a while. So could understand why. Yes, that that's fair enough. And and it sounds like you're doing mostly domestic flights. Did you do any international flights? No, no, just domestic. Yeah, it's it's amazing how many domestic flights we have. I mean, until Jetstar and all those cheaper airlines came in, obviously it was all going back to you know Qantas and and Ansett, wasn't it back then? Ansett, yeah, and Australian, Australian TAA back when I started, TAA and Ansett was yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard of TAO actually recently too. And then there was another one, I think Rex, Rex as well was more sort of the regional type of airlines. Seems like a lot of them have sort of closed a lot of their routes off because of. Yeah, actually, the regional airlines are the ones that first to fire up in the small aircraft. There's some mates of mine to, to this day that still have their jobs uh, with the smaller aircraft because uh, they're the ones that they could fill the planes up a lot quicker, and the regional routes started up. Yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes childhood dreams turn out to be adult nightmares. I like the flying aspect of it, but that was only a very small part of it. The, the whole job entailed a lot of other things, you know, like not being from away from, uh, not being home. Um, and there's, it's a stressful job too, but um, it mainly was, yeah, I, I just wasn't home at all. Castorina's talent doesn't stop at knowing how to fly a plane. He also knows how to operate high-level machinery and has always been interested in it. So, he took the next step in his life and pursued a new dream. Well, uh, from there I went um, in where I was living was a sh- is a sugar industry like I said before. So, I, I went and worked at a sugar mill. They had, um, I got interested in, in operating machinery. So, I landed a job there um, and it was only sort of a fill-in job. At the time, I, I said, well, I'll just try it just to make ends meet and um, because I still haven't worked my direction, I've just, I've just quit my lifetime dream, and 
now I was sort of in limbo and I thought, well, I'll just do something to get the money. And, and then I discovered that I didn't mind this job. It was quite good. It was interesting. You know, there was some big boilers, big steam uh, boilers there at the time. And I thought, well, this could be a, a career. Um, um, whether it was long-term or temporary, at that stage, it didn't, it didn't matter. Um, I was just feeling my ground. And then I ended up staying at the sugar mill there for a few years. And I got a quite a, I got up the ladder, um, became a you know a senior operator, and uh, I ended up becoming um, a trainer and assessor for pressure equipment. So I was teaching guys how to um, operate steam equipment, and I used to go and teach at TAFE and do that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and then that led me to um, move on to chasing a, a bigger. Uh, a better job because the, where I was living in that sugar mill was, was sort of limited what I could do. So I said to my wife, Michelle, I said, let's go discovering uh, the rest of the Queensland, see if I can go and find a, a better job in the same field. And I had a few mates that have already left at the time and they they went down to central Queensland, a little place called Biloela. And there was another uh, there was a few industries there. There's uh, some um, all cent- centered around mining, and so I went there for a drive with Michelle one Easter. And uh, a friend of mine said, um, "Come and have a look at where I'm working here." And I went and had a look. It was an ammonium nitrate plant, so they make the explosives for the coal mines. And um, I had all the qualifications at the time, and I'd, I had an interview with the boss. Because he said, come and have an interview with the boss. Uh, I wasn't ready for it. I was just going there for a holiday for a look. And um, and uh, nothing was said at the time. And I left, went back, and and they rang me up and said, you got a job if you want to start. And I had I had a t- couple of TAFE courses lined up with, with the guys at work at back at the sugar mill. And I said, look, I can't. I'm committed. I want to. I want to. And I promised that I'd, I'd have these guys, I'd do these guys' courses, and um, I'd, if I can finish that to the end of the year, and then I'll I'll come out to do that job at Christmas time. So that's what we did. The, that um, the guys uh, said, yeah, for sure, we'll, we'll let you stay there, that current work place, and come and join us. Um, so it was December. The twenty second, we shut the whole factory down at the sugar mill, and then Shell and I packed our bags on the twenty third and landed in the new job on the Christmas Eve. On the <laughs> so I started that new job, and yeah, it was um, whirlwind uh, that that year. That for sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that's great to hear another company being so understanding because it's it was quite a long wait, you know, many many months before they could and. Anything can happen. You could have changed jobs and decided I'll go somewhere else and that, but that's great that they waited for your commitment to come through. The fact that I said that I was committed to my previous job and I didn't want to let them down, they could see the benefit there. Um, yeah. yeah. So I opened the next chapter. So. Coming up after the break, we explore the worst investment moment Castorina has made. The contract crashed four times. The quick start to his property journey. We picked up about 10 in six years. The decision that made him start in the first place. Then we decided to buy some rentals. 
and that's what kicked it all off. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, property investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you 1% to 2% per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a high return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. His new job opened up more than one door. He began reading and that's when his property journey began. Yeah, well, it was with that following job. Um, I started reading, like I said before, I started reading a lot of books, property books. Um, I was a, I was actually, um, I'd done a lot of, which I didn't mention before, but I, I, I'd done an extensive amount of um, work study on trading. I, I've been a trader for 15 years trading futures and stock markets as well um, and I was doing that and, and in those groups, in those um, trading groups, those futures stock market trading groups, um, the guys were mentioning about property, you know, putting your money that you're making, that you, your income and putting it into assets and parking into there because uh, the trading was a good, good method bringing income in. Um, it, could be um, a good wealth generator, but it's good to have some money in assets, right? And at, at that time, I said, "Yeah, well, that's a good idea." So I started reading property books, and and I read uh, a heap of books, you know. Uh, then and then the mind game, mindset books, you know, Think and Grow Rich. And I started getting really passionate because I, you know, I was I, even from day one, I still had, like I said, I still had that wealth that I, I just wanted to be wealthy. You know, one day. I, I knew that I wasn't going to work forever and all these things I was interested in, I was interested in being a pilot, I was interested in uh, driving steam equipment and, and all that other stuff but I, I knew that one day I'd be retired early because of my wealth and so I'd always put some effort on the sidelines to read books to, you know, and we did courses, Shell and I um, did some courses, um, you know, some small things there. And then we decided to buy some rentals and that's what kicked it all off so we bought some rentals um bought, bought our first rental back in just right after the gfc end of 08 start of 09 bought our first unit in sydney um that was uh in lakemba in sydney um yeah we picked that one up for a couple hundred thousand back then we said well this is our plan we we're going to buy property and and then just buy another one and buy, build up a portfolio because that's all I knew at the time. I, everything I read was saying this is how you do it and um, and all our spare money, the money that I'd save because we were really good, we were pretty frugal at the time because living in a little town because Wheeler was a similar town where we used to, where I grew up, it was very, you know, there wasn't stuff to spend money on. You could you could just have a good time going camping, fishing, and you know, so you have a lot of disposable income. And um, I used to just pour our money into deposits for houses. 
And um, to speed it up, we thought, well, let's renovate because that's what we were reading and that's what we, it made sense to us. So let's renovate. So Michelle done a Sherry Barber course, um, come down to Sydney again and uh, did that. And a lot of those things resonated with us and I, I did the course on the disc beside her as well as uh, to review it. And um, so we thought, well, we'd renovate, lift the equity up in the property, speed speed it up, drag the money. And back then, straight, even straight after GFC, banks were quite liberal with, the, with lending. It wasn't until later and as towards 10 and 11 when they started tightening and tightening. So we could still get money out. Um, so we, yeah, we've got a few properties and what, what we'd do is we'd, mum and dad would come down because I was still in Ingham at the time. I'd say, I'd ring up mum and say, we're buying a property um, next month, it's settling, we want to go down and renovate it so see if they could come down and look after the kids for us because they're only, you know, five and three and uh so they, yeah, all right. They come down. So Shell and I drive down or fly down wherever the properties were, and we'd renovate them, and we'd live in the house, live in that house that we we're doing up, and that wasn't pretty because there's dust everywhere and blow a blow up mattress and whatever. And we'd do the place up in three, four weeks. We had a few tradesmen to look after us, uh, you know, do the you know the electrical and the plumbing work, and Shell and I do the rest. Um, and that's where we cut our teeth in the renovating world. Once they started acquiring properties, they couldn't stop until suddenly they had to. The maximum was about 13. We got up to 13. I picked Doing that buy, buy, renovate and hold strategy, um, we picked up about 10 in six years, six, seven years. Yeah, it was quite quick time. But then it come to a sudden halt <laughs> because we were the banks just shut shop. We just, uh, you know, had too much debt at the point. Although he's experienced the stress of having too much debt, his worst investment experience was actually due to a matter of circumstance. A house that we'd done up, a beautiful renovated house, um, and it, the contract crashed four times. Um, and and it's, it's looking back, it probably wasn't a big deal, but at the time it was because uh, every time we, a person had bought it, it crashed because of uh, something minor in the building and pest um, or the finance. They couldn't get finance and, and it dragged out. So something that should have sold in a couple of weeks took like um, took about 18 weeks to sell in this current market, which is the market's quite hot. And... And um, it's quite easy to to start worrying about things that aren't there, you know, um, creating things because we, I had a good team, I had a great agent on board. He was doing the best he could and it's just circumstances. Um, uh, yeah, so that and, – and but in the end it sold. You know, so the, the fourth buyer come in, absolutely loved the place, said, yep, this is for me and, and so – um, the, the key point there was that we just didn't find the right buyer. All these, all these building and pests and finances were just excuses for the buyer to pull out, I think, you know, and they weren't really keen on the house to, to start with. But when you buy a house and you lock it up for 14 days or 21 days for you to do your due diligence, um, 
you know, you lock the lock the seller in as well, and you know, you can't put it back on the market. Well, no one's interested in it, so to speak, until that's over, you know. So, um, yeah. So, anything bigger than that? I've had a few others, but nothing major that I can think of. Um, little things like that. Basically, once a buyer has committed to purchasing, you know, both have agreed to exchange a contract to go in, or not exchange, but in the cooling off period, it's basically those two weeks that is locked in and until they've made that final decision, there's not much you can do. So, that's why I could potentially keep dragging on if they keep crashing the contract. Yeah, and I mean, you can have a backup contract but buyers are reluctant to do that because, uh, you know, it's it's – yeah, you know, it's not there for them. It's not in the taking. Yeah, you know, if they're really keen, yeah. But I found that a lot of boys rather move on and look for other houses than than deal with that one. Selling the house took longer than usual, but the renovation was pretty quick. This one took a while because we bought it just before Christmas, and we were doing um, we we're doing a boarding house conversion at the time. We had all our tradesmen there. So we didn't have any spare guys, and that, the tradesmen just went really busy leading up to the end of last year because of all the activity. And so, and we said, well, well let's just go on holidays because we had enough for the year. Let's go on holidays. So we put it on hold, and we finished it late February, so uh, mid-February. So it took us probably uh, about two months that one there. Um, so I bought it. End of end of November, first week in December, and then it took us till mid February. By the time we got back, you know, got all the tradesmen back on board again. Um, yeah, and we had it on the market towards the end of February. Mm. And what was done to the property? Everything, the, the whole thing. Uh, it was in a big mess. The, the um, previous owners let it go, so we we just did two new bathrooms, kitchen floors, paint throughout, uh, new fencing, landscaping outside. The, the back The back had um, a big pool that was green, turtles and everything swimming in them, swimming in it and um, piles of rubbish at the back. Um, it, it, I had to bring a, a mini excavator in to, to, to demolish the pool but because there was so much rubbish there we decided to get a, um, a big excavator, 20, a 20-ton excavator in there to do the job, which took us, it only took us a day to do. So he demolished the pool and, and cleaned up all the stuff and, and grabbed the rubbish and put it in the truck. That's <laughs> that much of it. There's about four trucks of rubbish got taken out. Um, yeah, that was a big job. And there was this carport, uh, carport this uh, patio at the back, um, Home, home makeshift built it was built by the previous owner and the cement and because this excavator had to come in we had to demolish that as well so that added to the costs of the renovation because of, I had to replace all that um, so that was something we didn't see coming because we've already bought this place so um, yeah so that added probably about $15,000 to the renovation um, Fortunately, the because the market is good, um, we picked it up on the other side. You know, he found the house through an agent and took it off the hands of a struggling couple. Through an agent, and um, yeah, so basically, the the owners had to get out. The bank was um, starting to become 
an issue for them and, and they said, well, we better sell before the bank takes over and sell. And uh, we were there and it, the place was such a mess. It was basically inhabitable. Um, it was pretty bad. And we went in with a cash offer and said, we'll, we'll buy it now. Because the, the actual the structure of the house was really good. We went up in the ceiling. I did all the inspections and up in the ceiling was great. Um, there's no termites at all, surprisingly enough, with this one. Because there's so much rubbish piled up on the outside of the house. They had entry point, yeah, so good. Everything there was good. Um, so, yeah, we could see the potential there. In a future episode of Property Investory, we'll continue the conversation with Alan Castorina and discuss his current development schedule. We've been doing, you know, averaging between six or eight projects a year. The development that fell through. And they said at least 400,000 to do this place, get it back to what it should be. The books that helped him get here. Um, Stephen Covey's book, you know, the six, uh, seven habits of of highly successful people. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short six months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.